All right, let's get going. Grab a seat. You guys already are uh, sitting. Hey, it's good to see all of you. Good to be back here. Um, feels a little bit uh, like uh, normal here tonight, so this is awesome. And uh, I'm wondering, though, if, if all of a sudden we had to exist in a world that you had to say everything you were thinking or everything that you were feeling. Like if we existed in a world, literally, where every single thought that you ever had and every feeling you ever felt, you 100% had to communicate that. I wonder what that world would look like. Uh, let's start in a scenario, shall we? So let's start in the, in the uh, person just had a baby and you've gone to visit them. Okay, let's start in there. There's two things that inevitably everyone says in that moment. Uh, the first thing that everyone says uh, is certainly commenting on the, on the beauty of the, the child, okay? And so you walk in, it doesn't matter whether the baby looks good or not, whether the baby, you know, has come out, uh, you know, all beautiful Gerber-ish or whether it, it hasn't. Uh, inevitably, every single person is going to walk in, oh, like, look at this precious child, you know, and, and you lavish the compliments and you're so enamored by the beauty. And then the second comment uh, that inevitably uh, you make is how great the mother looks, right? Oh, you look so like you, I can't believe you had a baby four hours ago, right? So let's say you had to think, uh, you had to say what you were actually thinking, right? And again, certainly sometimes you think that the babies are beautiful, but in reality, sometimes you don't, right? So what if you walked in? Oh my goodness, wow. Really? That, this, this really caught me by surprise. I mean, you're a pretty good-looking woman. He's a pretty good-looking guy. Not sure what happened here, you know? I don't know. And then you turn and see the mother on the bed, right? And you're like, I, wow, you got hit by a Mack truck, huh? Three or four hours ago, right? And, and in all reality, like, how many women look wedding day, you know, privy, like, three or four hours after they have a baby? It doesn't really happen. So imagine that, right? Like, it, it, would, it would add a little bit of a different flair to the, uh, to the delivery room. Uh, let's, let's take a, just a general coffee meeting. Okay, so you and your friend, you guys are going to sit down, your friend, you started out friends anyway, uh, you sit down for coffee or whatever you drink, I don't drink coffee, so Diet Pepsi or every once in a long while water, and um, you start having a conversation, and they start saying, you know, they start saying something that you disagree with. Well, uh, again, in the non-have-to-say-what-you're-thinking world, you kind of nod your head, and sometimes you smile, and every once in a while you interject, but in this new world, um, you're an idiot. I can't believe you're saying that. You know, like, you seriously believe that? Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And, and on and on and on. Like, think about everything that you were feeling, right? You, like, you're sitting across from the, man, that per- you're having a horrible hair day today, you know? Hey, dude, you got this massive bug coming out of the left one, and you need to, right? Like, it, I mean, it, it'd be a really, really interesting world, right? Uh, one last scenario. Let's, uh, let's talk about, like, like, when you have to break up with someone, okay? Because whether, uh, unless you're like 12, 13, 14, maybe 18 in here, good chance you've had uh, a significant other in some kind of dating relationship, right? So what if you had to say what you were actually thinking, okay? Rarely does a relationship ever end with things being communicated that they're really, really feeling, okay? Uh, most times it's, man, it, it's, just not, it's just not working out, right? Or uh, the Lord told me that, you know, we talk about it all the time here, not using the God card in that that avenue, but often we do, like the Lord told me that we're not supposed to date anymore, like what if you actually had to said, you know what, I'm not attracted to you, you know, um, actually you're ugly, okay, and three weeks ago I thought you were attractive, now I don't, I'm sorry, I need to leave, right, like, 
right? When you talk, uh, I, I can't understand, you know, like your breath smells. It just like, like what, if, what if we lived in that world? It's scary because you know the thoughts that you have. It's scary because you know the things that you feel. And so there's like half laughter and half, I really am glad that that's not the reality happening right now in you, right? It's not our mouth that needs to change. It's not the, the, the holding it in that needs to change. There's something much deeper. Uh, I want to ask you, like, how do you view people? You find yourself seeing someone and instantly going through the 21 subcategories of judgment. And then they have to fit into at least 15 or 16 of those 21. If they don't, then you're going to distance yourself from them. You're certainly already, the moment you see just about everyone in the world thinking judgmental thoughts, how many of you just see a person and instantly, like the first fruit of your heart, is bursting with joy that they're a person? Or how many of your first thoughts are, Judging their social economic status, uh, judging the way that they're dressed, the way that they're talking, the way they're communicating with you, I'd be really, really curious to have all of us just like do a really introspective look at those first 30 seconds of how we view people. It shows us the depths of our heart. So I want to dig in. I, I feel like because the old is gone and the new has come, I feel like there's a, a greater hope, don't you? Like I feel like something can happen in us that would allow us to see, and in particular tonight, the body of Christ through a different lens. Um, so I want to remind you where we've been, because that's going to help set some frame of reference. Last week, these were the verses that we studied in Colossians 3. Okay? Put to death, therefore, this warlike, uh, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. I, I told you last time, even though at times uh, sexual immorality seems redundant to talk about, uh, Paul in six lists of sins in the New Testament leads with sexual immorality, six Time, so clearly it was a massive issue. I, I've been to Jerusalem, okay? I've seen the Roman uh, bathing houses, and they were basically cesspools of, of sexuality. I mean, they were very uh, uh, tremendously sinful, and so uh, even here he lists this as first impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then we saw this in verse 6 on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And I told you last week that. That he reminds, does Paul, this church in Colossae about who their identity was so that they understand now what their identity is in Christ. I said it to you this way last week. Next slide. In our battle against sin, we have employed the wrong strategies while using errant weaponry. What really needs to happen is we rest when we come to moments of sin or not sin in our identity. And so I shared several texts with you. I just want to remind you of one tonight from 1 Peter chapter 2 because this lists a whole litany of awesomeness. But you and Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, your identity was nothing, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. And next slide, I ask you this, in light of our identity in Christ, is it enough? Is it enough that you're called this kid? Is it enough that you're called a son? And if a son, then an heir. Is it enough for you to be called this workmanship in moments of sin or not sin? Instead of just adding accountability or more programs to our computers, isn't it enough in that moment to say, I am God's son and I have then all that I need? 
Well, if you thought that he was done, if you thought that uh, the identity teaching uh, in Paul's lesson here in Colossians 3 was over, you uh, and even myself at times stand corrected. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8, read all the way to verse 11 initially just to kind of set some frame of reference. And then we're going to study each of these uh, verses together. So powerful night, man. I want to welcome my good friend Tim Gray here. Uh, just stud, pastor, did our marriage treat last year. And just uh, blessed to have him here with us. So here we go. Let's start in verse 8 of uh, Colossians chapter 3. Here we go. But now you must put them all away, he says. Anger, wrath, no one struggles with that. Malice, slander, good thing we have no slanderers here. And obscene talk from your, uh, from your mouth. None of you have cussed or used any filthiness, I'm sure. Again, I wish the text was, like, relevant to us, you know? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. That's good. We got that one nailed. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of what? Come on. It's what? It's creator. Okay. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but... Christ is all, and come on, in all. Unbelievable passage tonight, all right? So let's start here with verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. It's interesting. He, he initially says put them to death, talking about sexual morality and, and really sins that focus on the individual. Certainly they encompass others at times, in particular with sexual morality, but but here he really focuses on um, the community. Again, he's writing to believers in Colossae. Errant teaching, heretical teaching is making its way to the church. And so this verse and this text and this list is about protecting uh, the body, is about unity in the body. And so initially he says put them to death, and now he says you must put them all away. In, uh, in ancient literature, this was uh, an idiom towards clothing. So he's, he's basically saying, like, take the old clothes off. I'm a clean freak. Anyone else? Okay. All right. Several of you. Those are, everyone who just raised their hand are sitting far away from everyone else. Did you know? Like, and you're, like, literally dousing your hands right now, right? I'm a clean freak. I take many showers a day, uh, oftentimes three. If I can get five in, I'd like that. Um, I like to be clean. If I'm going to get dirty, like, I'm Okay. But the worst, the absolute worst thing for me would be like right now, like not planning on getting dirty to all, like all of a sudden, like, you know, whatever, getting a bunch of grease on my shirt. Like I would, I would just go crazy. Okay. Like I, I don't like being clean and then getting dirty without the intent of getting dirty anyway. Okay. <laughs> but even me. Okay. So tonight when I get home super late and, and you know, I, I, I start putting my pajamas on, it'll feel awesome even though, like, these clothes won't have gotten, a di- gotten dirty, it'll feel awesome to get those off, okay? But it feels so much better when you get, like, Ecuador clothes off, okay? You don't, like, like when you're on a mission trip, right, and you got concrete all over, and the jeans that you've been wearing for three days are now starting to resemble a seventh grade boy's locker room, and you got, like, right, like, the, the smell, like, it, when you take those clothes off, man, it just, it feels incredibly fresh, and in Ecuador... Uh, we bathe in the river. And even me, like, I'm sitting in the river, like, shampoo, like, Lord, I don't even know. Like, what's a, there could be a boa constrictor right now. But, like, I just, I long to be clean. Okay. That's the image here. It's, it's taking off the nastiest of nasty. These sins may seem lesser than the first, but, uh, but they're just in a list of things that the community would struggle with. You must now put them away. Take the clothes off. 
leave them behind. So let's break these down one by one. Next slide. First of all, anger. Again, I know that none, none of you struggle with that, and some of you are getting angry at me right now for saying that. Um, it's crazy to me uh, how many times in the context of the body of Christ, I've either gotten angry or experienced anger. And uh, this is where, like, the doctrinal theologian folks want to argue about holy, righteous anger and not holy, righteous anger. I'm talking about the clear, like, bitterness, resentful kind of anger that comes out. Um, In many of us, it's like sitting so close to the surface. And it's sitting so uh, so close to the surface on particular days, days you're stressed, days you're um, worn out. Days you can't take it anymore, right? Have you ever just like gone crazy on a florist, right? You know what I'm saying? Like that, that day when it was the most random person and someone who was actually doing a nice thing. But for whatever reason, that anger was like so close to the surface that you just let out all your resentfulness on an innocent bystander. If we collected in a, like a big pile the amount of anger that's been experienced under the confines of Jesus. We got a lot of pain here, huh? Uh, some of you have yelled at other believers and, um, and walked away uh, wondering what in the world just happened. Other, others of you have been completely yelled at and berated. Um, I, I certainly have been on both sides of that. And it's crazy that anger can... Um, in the confines of the body of Christ, uh, show itself. Some of you maybe are lent it, um, a little bit harder or deeper to anger than others, but sometimes it's just like right there under the surface. The next thing that he focuses on is wrath. Wrath is that like is that sudden outburst, like the the launch. Okay, the NASA space shuttle road rage launch. Right, where like all of a sudden you're like singing Joy FM. Right. And then in the same, like with your window down, so they can hear that you're singing like, you know, one thing remains, you know. You, I mean, you even have like one hand off the wheel worshiping out the other window. And then someone cuts you off and you like, you tell them who's number one, right? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, James chapter 2, in talking about taming the tongue, talks about this exact issue. It's like. How with the same tongue do we praise God and then curse God? It's so weird, right? And he's specifically talking about in the body to take these things off, to rid of them, okay? After wrath, we have the ever-classic malice. Um, Again, this isn't a a term that's in our normal language, right? You rarely in a conversation say, hey, would you stop malicing me, okay? Okay. and the reason why it's not common in our language because it has to do with the intent of our heart. So my guess is once or thrice, uh, you have wished evil upon someone. Uh, my guess is sometimes maybe you've even like prayed that. And, and I just like picture the Lord like, seriously, right? And, and you're, you're, you're masking it with nice words, you know, like, dear Lord, you're so awesome. God, if you would see fit, would you smite their face off? That would be incredible. For your glory, Lord, we pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Right? It's like, 
What's crazy, again, in a world where uh, you had to say everything that you were thinking, I wonder if today, like, we had just to collect all of those thoughts and then communicate them to everyone, how many relationships would be, like, at the end of their rope in this room because of things you've thought about people in this room, the evil that you've wished on people. My guess is there's been evil wished on some people that are sitting in the row with you right now. Some of your spouses are like, not me, honey, I promise, right? I would never, honey. After malice, yes, we have slander. Uh, We see this certainly in political campaigns, which is why when Christians struggle with slander, uh, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a weird, for lack of a better term, political argument. Slandering the name of others for harm. This is why we're so anti-gossip here. We talk about gossip all the time. Try to enable a body that gossip cannot exist or thrive or grow. Uh, Slander, uh, rest assured, every single one of us have been on the receiving end of. Where someone behind your back has tried to, through creative conversation in a maligning way, have tried to defame you to someone else. That's slander. And finally, yes, my friends, obscene talk from your mouth. Again, I know none of us in here have ever struggled with that. So this is the point in the teaching where um, we just start saying, well, stop being angry. Like, what's your problem, right? All the cuss words today that you thought on a sheet of paper, and then we're going to make a fire in here, we're going to throw it in, and we're going to burn it. And then you're never going to cuss again. Right? And you're going to right now stand up. We're going to pass the mic. You're going to say every malicing thing, thought, thing that you've thought about other people here. And then we're going to all repent. Like, anytime you come to list like this, just like last week, we've approached it with the wrong strategy. Uh, we've gone at it with the, with the wrong kind of weaponry. And, and often in this list, it's just stop. Stop cussing. Like, stop talking about sexuality in a way that's like a a high school boys locker room kind of thing where men are sharing, you know, stories about their, you know, their encounters or or the uh, the language that completely defames uh, the person, right? And, And so we just say, like, stop it. Like, figure it out. Like, put some duct tape on your mouth. But the problem is the issue isn't what's coming out of here. A scripture makes clear out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. That's why the issue isn't becoming in a world where we have to speak everything that we say. The issue is, or that we think or feel, the issue is like, God, do a reforming work in what we think and feel. God, give us a different lens in how we see people, and specifically in the context of Colossians 3, how we see your people, God. And, and maybe then... Anger and malice and slanderous words and wrath. Maybe then, like, something happens with them. So hang with me. We're going to see this strategy come out. Uh, The one thing that all five of these things have in common is uh, they've all made us feel better. For about a minute. Uh, For many of you, anger is a drug. It's your go-to when you need to get things out. And it feels better to get things off your chest. The problem is what was meant to get things off your chest and confession of sin and worshiping a great God 
comes out in the form of anger and confuses not just those you're journeying with, but those that are looking from the outside in. All of these things, the one thing they have in common is they've all made us feel better. You've gossiped about someone and inside you felt awesome about yourself in all of your insecurity. The problem is that feeling was incredibly fleeting, wasn't it? The wrath really didn't cut it. The anger really didn't mask it. Okay, even though you rallied a crew against someone in the end, when you got found out, when you got called to the table, when you realized what you had done in the body of Christ, that feeling was fleeting. It's really interesting when you start looking at the opposite of these five things. I put them in yellow just to help, okay? The opposite of anger, unbridled joy, the opposite of wrath here, I frame from Romans chapter 12, this never be lacking in, in zeal, uh, malice instead of wishing harm on someone, I like this, this beautiful wishing well. Like think about it, if in your interaction with others, in the body of Christ, you are consistently wishing everyone well. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. And in this context, the body of Christ, what if like in the first few thoughts that you met every single person, you literally found yourself like your heart just pouring out, wishing, praying that well would happen for them and whatever well would be defined as. Like think of the difference. But someone who takes your spot in the Walmart parking lot, right, you wish that they'd meet their maker today. The opposite of slander is encouragement. Uh, let me make sure you understand this. I talk about this a lot because um, I've certainly been accused because uh, encouragement is a gift of mine. I've certainly been accused of false encouragement. And um, I'm not going to uh, stand in front of you and say that every single time that I've ever encouraged someone that every word of it was true. No, there have certainly been times where the truth has been slanted. And I pray more and more and more that God would make every word that comes out of my mouth, even an encouragement, true. But I'm telling you this. The power of encouraging others behind their back instead of gossiping, oh my goodness. Again, it's one thing to encourage someone when you're in front of them because you're going to receive the smile. You're going to get the warm fuzzy. You're going to get to celebrate relationally them receiving that or at times struggling to receive it. But when you talk well of someone behind their back, oh my goodness, the joy of that, and when it's genuine, in other words, when you see the awesome things about them and not the poor things that you've become a judger of. And finally then, we have the uh, obscene talk instead is intentional and very fruitful conversation. Uh, those of you who are in my lot family, uh, I hope you're okay with me sharing this. Uh, you really don't have a choice, but I'm going to go for it. I got really, really frustrated Sunday in our lot family, and uh, I kind of, I held it in for a little while and shouldn't have, and, and then I just shared. I was really frustrated because I was walking around my house, and I was hearing conversation that was like about the weather, and I was hearing conversations about the food, and I was listening to conversations that just, like in the scheme of anything, those conversations were nothing, and so I just like... In my basement, I just said, guys, like, we have the body of Christ here, an opportunity to get past all of that and enjoy fruitful and intentional conversation. Not obscene talk, or in this case, not worthless talk, but intentional, God-glorifying, how are you doing, and really meaning it, and sitting with people, and asking folks how we, like, I, I'm longing that 
that my home continually becomes this place on Sundays where people just come. And, and, and often it is. But for whatever reason, this past Sunday, it was a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies. And I got frustrated. I don't want that in this body at all. Hey, listen, tomorrow there's going to be weather. And it's, it's either going to be sunny or rainy or not. But at the end of the day, does the weather in any form or fashion affect your pursuit of Jesus? And if it does, then you're a bit too seasonal maybe, right? So the opposite of these things, like I look at the options that we have. I look at the options that the body of Christ has. And I'm, I'm just, is there, is there even a competition? But we're making it one. And again, so what often happens in this moment is we just say, all right, choose the yellow, everybody. Come on. Figure it out. Just start encouraging people. And then the preacher gets angry, right? And like gets wrathful. It just makes no sense. I, I want to propose to you a different kind of strategy, a different kind of thought process. He says, put these away. So let's hang in that understanding as we continue to watch this unfold. Next slide. Oh, boy. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Again, I, I'm going to say this every single week in the case that you haven't heard it or forgotten it. The old is gone and the new has come. I can't make the scripture say anything else. The old man is dead. Our sins have been crucified on the cross of Christ, Romans says, and now we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, this is a good thing. Okay. So he says, don't lie to one another. The body of Christ, don't lie to brothers and sisters. Because the old practices are gone. The dead man is done. So why do we struggle with lying? And if we struggle with lying, what, is it, what does it say? What does it show? What, this may be a tidbit for you. Next slide. Our good friend John writes this. You are of the father, the devil. And your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, Satan, he speaks out of his own character. For he, Satan, is a liar, and what's the scripture say? And what? And the father of lies. So if Satan is called in the scripture the father of lies, then anyone who lies in this very habitual, this very like life pattern of lying is associating themselves on a consistent basis, even though considered to be in the body of Christ, with the father of lies. That's not an association I prefer to have of myself. So why do Christians lie to one another? Let's examine some of these, shall we? Check this out. Number one, we've been trained. This one kind of lets us off the hook a little bit, but hold on, right? We've been trained. I, many of you guys know my story. I've shared this over and over and over, but my, my experience growing up, if anyone did tell the truth, my marriage is struggling, I'm struggling with pornography, I, have same-sex attraction, if anyone would have done any of those things, the typical reaction would have been shun, would have been, they're not like us. We're Truman Show in here. Everyone's fine. We shake a lot of hands. We give a lot of hugs. And everyone walks out the double doors, and the pastor stood on the end, and everyone shook his hand and said, best sermon ever. And if they had to say what they were really thinking, that wouldn't have been what they said often. Okay. Thank you, sir. That was the best sleep I ever had, right? Um, 
And so it trains everyone. If you tell the truth, then you'll be shunned. So you have to lie. You have to just like make it. Literally, you have to spend your entire life in the masquerade. So just tell people when they ask you how you're doing, and if you're really struggling, just tell them that you're doing okay. And when they ask, well, what do you mean, okay? Just tell them, you know what? It's all good. We're, we're going to make it. Because there's a good chance they're not going to proceed any farther. Right? We've been trained. It's one of the things we're very passionate against here. I pray that we're not trained to lie here in the fear of being vulnerable. Uh, what we see consistently, and I pray this will continue to be true in our body, is people who raise their hand and say that they're wrestling, that they're struggling with some of the, the deepest, most, uh, um, uh, some of the things that have become like cultural, uh, um, just, you know, distances from the church. I pray that in, that in this place, people can raise their hand and say, here's where, I'm, where I am, and we can wrap them with love, wrap them with grace, point them to the person of Jesus. I pray that be this place. But we struggle fighting that because we've been trained to lie. Don't be truthful. It'll be a struggle. Number two, why do believers lie to one another? We don't want to work through repentance, right? So we come to someone and they say, let's just take this for an example, okay? Someone comes to us and they're just like, so hey, like, I've noticed this in your life and, and I'm really, I'm, I'm wondering how you're, how you're doing with that. It doesn't seem like you're doing that well. And really what you need to confess in that moment, because they're a dear brother or sister, is this truth that you've been holding back for years. And this is your moment. But you know, if you share the truth, if the truth becomes buoyant, if the truth gets out, that the work of repentance, that the work of like letting loose of that thing that you've held so tightly to for comfort or security. Uh, the process of uh, learning to walk as someone who's been healed from that point. How this person's going to view you. And on and on and on. The fear of repentance withholds the truth, though Jesus provides this unbelievable story of repentance when a prodigal son runs back home and who welcomes him? Like we have this beautiful picture of repentance to the fullest. I've squandered everything. I've released everything. Dad, there's no way. God, Dad, just, just welcome me in as a slave. And the dad says, no, you're my son. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. And with open arms, this beauty of repentance. And yet in our heart, we fear because we've seen it gone bad. Again, we've seen the shunning or the regret or the remorse or the pushing away. That's another reason why we lied to one another. Thirdly, this one's tough. Whew, whew. We believe the identity that we've created for ourselves is better than the ones that he's given us. How many people really know you? Like really know you? The reality is most of us, including seasons in my life, we've lived under this, this mythical identity of who we really are, right? And we've believed in our heart, listen, we've believed in our heart that we can create a better identity than the one that he's given us. 
I know you said I'm a son, and if a son, then an heir. I know you've called me your child. I know you said in Galatians that like Isaac, I'm a child of the promise. I know that you said we're children of the day, no longer children of the darkness. But I think I can do better. I think I can create an identity at work that will bring me more value and more worth and more validation. I think I can create a better identity for my kids. My kids need to see me as Superman. They, they don't need to see my weaknesses. They need to see me as Supermom and Superdad. They can never watch us cry. They can never hear Mommy and Daddy wrestle with things. Think about this for a second. Some of you in, in your homes have stepped out of the room consistently when you and, and your spouse are having difficult conversations. Why? Because you saw your parents yelling at each other and you heard it through the walls. I'm contending to you, our kids need to watch us have these conversations, repent, and hug it out. But what are they seeing right? Listen, we're going to go because when you, when you work through difficult things, you need to go in, a, in, a, in your own room. You need to get far away. You have this image that your, that your kids need to not see your failure. My kids have to see my failure. So that they know daddy needs Jesus. Daddy doesn't just preach about Jesus. Daddy needs Jesus. And until they know that in my heart, like I wrestled today, kids, I struggled today. And I try as best I can to bring them into my struggle. Daddy's tired tonight. They'll even ask me at times, daddy, what's wrong? Because normally it's a party. But if I come home and my joy has been, you know, robbed for whatever reason. And I'm struggling that day. Daddy, what's wrong? And instead of just saying, daddy's okay, I try as best as I can. Here is what's going on, kids. Why? Because they need to see that daddy and mommy aren't Superman, that Jesus is what we need. Okay. But when we live in this kind of reality that the mythical identity is better, I want you to understand what you're saying. That the things that you have created, which you and yourself are a part of creation, are better than the creator himself. It makes no logical, spiritual, emotional, mental sense at all. And yet that's why we lie to each other. Because we have to protect the myth. We have to protect it. Like if someone finds out, if someone finally catches us, and you guys know what happens when you lie. Like one lie begets like 65 more. Did I just say beget? King James Version. Here we go. Number four. Okay. Jared taught me that one. Thanks, Jared, wherever you are. <laughs> we are fearful uh, that others will not extend grace, right? Come on. This is, again, in the body of Christ. I need to lie because I'm really fearful that they won't receive me as a brother or sister anymore. So what happens then? Even though the scripture says that the truth will set us free, very close to the surface, this old man fighting against the new, the regenerate spirit that's in us, and this unregenerate flesh outside of us, and this raging of war that Paul talks about in Romans 7, like then we find ourselves, it's better to lie. It's better to sit under that identity. It's better, to, it's better that people think that I'm something that I'm not. When haven't you experienced the fruit when you finally shared and you gave the body of Christ a chance? Listen. You gave the body of Christ a chance to be led by the Spirit of God to glorify the one that they worship. Here's what I'm saying to you. We withhold in our line opportunities to watch the Spirit work in the body. 
because you have watched amazing situations where grace has been extended, and hasn't it changed everything for you? Come on, some of you have confessed to sins, and you thought in your mind, they're going to hate me, and when they didn't, didn't it thrust you to your face in worship? You gave the body of Christ a chance to be led by the Spirit of God for the glory of God and extend grace and love. That's why Paul's like, like, put off these things. But again, all right, again, we get to this teaching in general, wrong strategy, wrong, wrong weaponry. What do we say? Stop lying. Right. Just tell the truth. Come on now. Like, there's no need to play the game three truths and a lie anymore. Like, just... Just tell the truth. Just be honest. And then we leave it at that. And then everyone goes home, looks in the mirror, and, and thinks to themselves, okay, say to the mirror a hundred times, I'm going to tell the truth today. I'm going to tell the truth today. Right? And like, if we just say it enough, then maybe things will change. And you get frustrated when they don't. Because reality is so many of us tonight sitting under layers and layers and layers of fear of the truth. Next slide. It goes on in verse 10, after the comma there of practices. Let me read 9 and 10 together just to put it together. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been put off, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and what? Have put on, right? Come on. Like you've put it on. The old clothes are gone. There's something new. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Hello. All right. <laughs> You see what he did there? You guys see what he did? Listen, listen. I know when you read the word, right, you get to a moment like this, you're like, oh, that's nice. Right. But I want you to see what he did. Look at what he did here. Inspired writing through the Spirit, Paul from jail, he writes this. If you want to step to the people of God, you better understand whose people they are. If you want to be angry against God's people, you better understand what you're doing. Hey, uh, men in dating relationships. You want to pursue that girl in a way that um, is about your pleasure and your gain? You want to use that girl like she's a puppet for your own insecure game? You better know this. She's a child of the Most High. A fellow sister in Christ. A creation underneath the creator. So all of a sudden this very heavy communal sense comes to it. Husbands. The angry husbands here. The husbands that have yelled recently. Listen, um, certainly been times where just frustration, you don't know what to do anymore, and you end up taking it out on the one that you love the most in the flesh. Uh, what I taught at the marriage retreat this past year, I've, I've been trying to sink in so much as one who at times have, have said things to my wife that I wish I could just like, as I, I'm saying them, I'm like, please come back. I've tried to see her as a sister in Christ first. 
uh, to the husbands in here who think flippantly about your spouse and the words that you say to her, I want you to understand um, he brings in this unbelievable view of as you grow in the knowledge of the image of the creator, as you understand how the creator has made a creation and you start to see how these things work within that new identity, then all of a sudden how you treat and view the body of Christ not just can shift but must shift and is shifting as we've been made a new creation. And so then the dating relationships in Christ completely change. The conversations between the husbands and wives, you don't have to work at it. You just claim victory in the spirit that's at work in you. And at the moment when, like, the anger, like, you, you just feel it raging in you, you watch the spirit, like, pull it back. And you extend grace. And you get to share in a moment of repentance with your spouse. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. So my guess is, is that some of you tonight, um, you start thinking about how you're, how you're treating some of the folks in the body of Christ. I just want you right now to understand who you're treating poorly. His kids. Hey, listen, they're his kids before they're your friend. They're his kid before they're your spouse. They're his kid before they're your two-week dating relationship. And somehow, collectively, in Christ, we're one. Speaking of, check this out. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, he throws in there, right? Scythian, slave, free. But look at this. But Christ is all, and Christ is all. Now, again, what has he done here? Remember last week, he... He brought them back to their identity as individuals. Remember how you once walked. Now what does he do? He brings them to their communal identity. As he teaches on sins that affect the body of Christ and can tear and can divide and can build walls of hostility, now what does he do? He says, no, 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 you need to understand in Christ, something has happened to all of those with the Spirit of God in them, connecting them. And let me prove the point by saying, not Jew or Greek, that's a pretty big dissension. Circumcised and uncircumcised, right? Like all those who uh, were Jews and were circumcised and came to Christ and all those who weren't, one in Jesus. Barbarian Scythian is awesome. Uh, uh, the, the, the Scythian uh, in, the, in the 7th century BC, these were like war ravages. These guys were like known for just being crazy warlords, okay? And barbarian was anyone who wasn't a Greek. So for, the, like for these guys to be able to claim victory in the power of Jesus, and then slave or free, anyone. In our context, black and white and social economic standards and, and Hispanic, like you name the racial demographic. You name the economical situation. You name how they dress, you name how they talk, you name their form, like you name it. In Christ, He is all and in all for the body. That's why our identity communally is the peace that changes. When we get to sin or not sin, anger against the body, wrath against the body, slander against the body, malice against the body, no, 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 no. Is my identity with my brothers and sisters in Christ 
enough. Let's say it this way. Next slide. These six things. They will either separate us or these six things will be symbols of what the power of the Spirit of God is working in us bearing fruit. They'll either be the thing that builds walls or they'll be the thing that we get to watch God take these away. Check this out. Next slide. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That in light of all six of these things, then we are together. And Paul in another place in scripture says this. Check this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I love this text, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, next slide, in Jesus, there is something that's happening. Every person who claims Jesus sits underneath the same umbrella of sufficient grace. All-encompassing grace. Grace that has no bounds or barriers. Grace that can be extended to the barbarian. Grace that can be extended to the child molester. Grace that can be extended to the adulterer. Grace that can be extended to the drug addict. Grace that can be extended to, the, to those who struggle with eating disorders. Grace that can be extended to the slanderers and the gossipers. So if this is true, then what does that mean for you and I? Those six things are issues of not being able to extend grace. I get angry. Why? Because I don't want to extend grace. I slander against someone. Why? Because I don't want to extend grace. In my heart, I desire ill will toward them. Why? Because I don't want to extend grace. I'd rather build up a begrudging heart against them. And I'm telling you, we are under the power of an all-sufficient grace, which means his church in our identity are the revealers of people who extend grace. Because they've received it. And so listen. My guess is there's like insane amounts of things that are going on in your mind. There's like relationships that you realize you've hurt and harmed and damaged. There's people that even you need to go to tonight and repent of because you've been slandering. There's those you've been gossiping about and you've realized tonight like how, like how in the world, how in the world have I treated a brother and sister in Christ? Like listen, all of those conversations can be so incredibly fruitful. And I want to pray for courage that you have them. But first, I want you to pray that you would understand that you're under an all-sufficient grace with the body of Christ so that you can extend grace to the body of Christ. And some of you are like, well, what about to the non-believer? What do you mean? This is our practice so that we can love and extend grace to the non-believer. But what's happening, guys? What's happening? We're getting distracted, not being able to extend it here, and then not able to extend it out there. This is our exercise, our opportunity to sit in grace and love so that we can show up in our workplace and that person that just annoys the heck out of us 
all of a sudden we find our hearts softening and extending grace, realizing the grace that's been extended to you. So listen, we're going to celebrate with the meal tonight. Is that cool? We're going to come to this table as believers, men and women, every racial, every economic, every background, every future. We're going to come to the table tonight. We're going to take a piece of the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus, and we're going to dip it in the cup that represents the powerful blood of Christ that's extended grace to us. And tonight, as we come to this table, it's a celebration of being a community and an asking of God to give us courage to love the community that he's given us. So come to this table under the all-sufficient grace of Christ. You're not worthy on your own, but in him, he's made you worthy. Let's celebrate, come on.